Tonight we're looking at living by the Spirit. And we've discussed this from the very beginning, looking at the Holy Spirit, who He is, that He is holy. And the description of holy, God's Spirit is holy. Why? Why is, why is that emphasized? Why would we emphasize, or why would the Scriptures emphasize that the, the, the Spirit is holy, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ? Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of holiness. The Spirit of holiness. And as we begin, and a part of what the title of the lesson is, is living by the Holy Spirit, we want to look at that because the Holy Spirit influences us and affects us through His Word as He changes our heart and as we focus on Him and focus on the truth that He's revealed because the other title for the Holy Spirit is that He is the Spirit of truth. He reveals truth so that we live a holy life. He is the one who sanctifies us and makes us holy. So we want to think about that. It's one of the passages that come to my mind on that matter is how the Holy Spirit makes us holy. Another thing I think about as far as the Holy Spirit before I go further with that is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that's in contrast to any evil spirit or demonic spirit or the spirits of the world, or the spirits of false prophets that you read about in 1 John chapter 4. And the Bible contrasts that. We want to follow the Holy Spirit, what He has revealed, and we see that within Scripture. Now, what is the process by which the Spirit saves believers? We've looked at a, a number of passages on this, but now we want to tie this into living a holy life. What's it mean to live a holy life? And how is the Holy Spirit, as we, we have, we've come to the point of seeing so much the Holy Spirit has blessed us and provided us with, we're going to draw more from that and help us tonight to, to live in the sanctification. The word sanctification means to be made holy. It's the process of being made holy. Uh, when you think about sanctification, you should hear the word saint in it. We're being made uh, saints. We're made saints by the Holy Spirit when we were baptized in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 tells us that. And it is from that point that we are to live a holy life. But it's also a process in life. You know, when we're baptized, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We don't have a full understanding. We grow. And we grow closer to God. And we become more like Christ. And you're going to pick that up as we go through these scriptures here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, Paul says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. You're the beginning of it. This is the first century. You're the first Christians, especially those in Thessalonica, to be saved. You're the first fruits, the gathering in of those who are saved. That's an amazing thing, the anticipation that Paul has right there. But notice what salvation is. It is through something. So I am saved when I'm baptized. My sins are washed away. I'm made holy to stand before God. But the process just begins there. I can't do like a lot of people do today and say, oh, I've been saved and my sins have been washed away. I can live however I want to. Or God's grace is going to cover it. They, they missed it. They don't have the concept of what we're looking right here in the Bible. Is that when you're saved, it's also through, and what's he say here? Through sanctification, becoming even more so holy. And how? How? Through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So your faith is essential to this. Your belief in the truth. And listen to this, he says, to this he called you through our gospel. You're called to be holy. 
And Paul is actually building off of something he's already taught the church at Thessalonica. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you look at verses 1 through 9, he says, God's will for you is sanctification, to be holy, to become holy throughout your life. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to this by the gospel. Think about that. When you're called by the gospel and you obey the gospel for the first time, if you remember that event, I hope that you do, and you believe and you confess your faith and you've repented of your sins, you've died to your old self, you bury that old person in baptism and you rise up to the newness of life. What is it? Well, what we've heard from the gospel and what's appealing. And I remember, I, I remember hearing the gospel the first time, the second time, and some other times throughout my life where it feels like it just it gets inside of you and you feel so motivated and compelled by what Christ has done, that he died for me, that he's buried, and that he rose again. He says, to this you were called through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want. We want the, that glory, that eternal life that's coming, and the, that holiness, that appearance that comes with it to the, to the world around us. We want people to be able to see the light that's manifest in us. So when we're compelled by the gospel, we're going to live for it. We're going to be saved, and it's through a process of sanctification being made holy. So again, the call of the gospel affects change within us. When the, when the gospel has its real effect on you, you can't get it out of your heart and your mind. The truth is, is that what Jesus did for you continues to change you. It's why you're here on Sunday morning. It's why every time we partake the Lord's Supper, it, it's... It's fascinating. The Lord's Supper, you know, I've heard people say that if you take the communion every single week that it gets old. I've been taking it every single week since um, I was 11 years old when I was baptized. I'm trying to do some math here. So it's 27 years. And I think, is that right? Yeah, 27 years. And communion's never gotten old. And I'll show you with you something else. I don't know if you have this experience. I'd say about 90% of the time I take the Lord's Supper, I have this, and I know this is not biblical, this is not, ex, not biblical, but maybe it is biblical, but you get what I'm saying, it's experience. I feel closer to God, and sometimes I get, I get this, you know, I don't know if I, any way to describe it, a sense, a tingling down my spine. I don't know if you ever know what I'm talking about, maybe it's just me, but I feel, you know, when I'm thinking about what Christ has done for me, there's... There's something about it that affects me every single time, the thought. And there's not a Sunday that goes by that it doesn't have that effect. So when I think about the gospel, I want to. I want to live. I want to live for Christ. And I love him. And I know how much God loves me and how much Christ loves me. And that's an amazing thing to think about. So more that believers, we know the gift of the Spirit, which we receive when we're baptized, and we abide in God, then we, or I'll put they here, they, that is Christians, believers, have confidence in faith, confidence in our salvation. And so and that's also tied in with the Scripture, is we have confidence in our salvation because the Holy Spirit, He is changing our life. We see changes in our life. When someone comes to me and says, well, don't you ever doubt? I've gotten too far in my life to have any doubts now because I've seen what the gospel has done. I've seen what has been changed in me every single day, every week, even when I stumble and I fall, even despite all my weaknesses and struggles in life, that I, re I, re lean on, I rely on God. I lean on Him. And so I find much encouragement in the Scriptures that we're looking at tonight. 
Another thing we see about the Holy Spirit, having the gift of the Holy Spirit, knowing He's working in my life, that's a part of the guarantee, the seal of the Spirit that the Bible tells you about, that you see the fruits of the Spirit in your life. You know that the Spirit is active, that God is active in your life. And it's a confidence, you know, even when I sin and yet God does something and He helps make me into a better man because I repent and turn to Him, I see the work of the Holy Spirit. I know that that can only come through the Gospel and through the Bible. And those who want to live a life apart from that, they're just depriving themselves. It's foolishness. But also know it's a guarantee. It's a seal. I want you to look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 and 22. And there's another two passages up there I would encourage you to note if you're taking notes. Again, I'll put these notes up on, on the website. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And it's not the only place where that is noted. In other words, we're sealed like a seal on a scroll. We're promised to God promises us to save us. And he's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so that I can know I have eternal life because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I think that's amazing. And we'll talk more about the indwelling next week. The Holy Spirit seals believers for redemption. And redemption really stood out in what Garland was saying at the Lord's table, looking at Colossians, at least to me, looking at the blood by which we have redemption. So believers are sealed for redemption. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so this is, I think, an important point as well. Because you have the Holy Spirit does not mean that you cannot sin. In fact, the Bible, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, that because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get to this, I'm getting ahead of myself, because you're, the Holy, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you should not sin. You're sinning against the Holy Spirit. You're grieving the Holy Spirit when you sin. And maybe there's a part of that that I don't fully understand that applies to our conscience as well. I think about the verse right before this. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, Bitterness, clamor, and slander. Those things grieve the Holy Spirit. When I slander and speak about other people, I gossip behind their back. When I clamor, when I yell, when I demean and degrade people and I put them down. When I'm bitter and resentful toward others around me and I just don't, I detest them and I say things I shouldn't say, those things grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to remove them from our life. To be holy, to live a sanctified life, means that we're going to take those things and get rid of them. And Ephesians is great for that. Starting Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, all the way to Ephesians chapter 5, I think verse 11, maybe a little bit further down. In that section, you've got a lot of moral teaching. Paul often starts off with theology at the beginning of his letter and ends with application at the end. But you think about that. The Holy Spirit, He's dwelling within you. You've been baptized unto Christ, and yet you're, you've got bitter resentment toward others, and you yell and degrade other people, and you talk about them behind your back. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Now think about what Christ did. When Christ died on the cross, that convicting gospel... Then when Christ did it, he, he gave himself by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to apply that a little bit in the verses to come because when we sin, when we willfully sin, the Bible says, we enrage, we insult the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that. 
So when we make a mistake, and that is, and that's a light word for sin, very light. When we sin, when we act contrary to God's will, we need to repent and come back, and God will forgive us. Our sins will be washed away if we confess and walk in the light. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, he's talking about the Old Testament, the old way that it was done, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know what that passage also reminds me of? You got the blood that's necessary for, and Christ offering himself uh, through the eternal spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, you think about sacrifices, you often think about the lamb and maybe the body. But the emphasis in the Old Testament is always the blood. The blood is a part of the sacrifice, especially when it comes to atonement, appeasing God's wrath. Blood is a part of the life. And it was what we're due to God. We, we lower our lives to God. We deserve to die because of our sins. So blood is required. Leviticus chapter 17, 11 through 14. When I think about purifying the conscience, I think about 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, where Peter says, Baptism now saves you, not a washing away of the filth of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit declared Jesus the Son by raising Him from the dead. So you see the gospel right there. The Holy Spirit is active throughout the gospel. When Jesus died and He gave Himself as a sacrifice, He did so through the Spirit. And when He resurrected, He rose by the Holy Spirit. And that's not the only passages that connect the gospel to the work of the Holy Spirit. So how does someone insult the Spirit and compromise eternal life? I don't have the whole section of Scripture right here. In fact, I could take all the whole second half of Hebrews 10 tonight. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 tell us that we need to uh, remember to encourage and stir one another to love good, to, to, to do good works. Not what? You remember verse 25? Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And what does he say right after that? If you have your Bible open in Hebrews chapter 10, you look at verse 26 and he talks about willfully sinning. What's a part of that willfully sinning? Well, in the context, it would be not taking assembly and your brethren, the church, seriously, that you need to be together as Christians. And then he says about this willful sinning, he goes on there in detail, and he comes down to verse 29, and this is what the writer says. He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God? What is the writer saying? He's saying when you sin and you willfully do it and you continue in a life of sin, You're not calling upon the Holy Spirit to make you sanctified and holy. You're doing the opposite. You're outraging the Holy Spirit. In fact, you're trampling the Son of God underfoot. You're saying, I don't care that much about what Jesus did on the cross, which again, through the Spirit, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified. To to profane the blood by which you've been made holy. That's an insult. And then the, the third part, he says here, and has outraged, or depending on your translation, outraged or insulted the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit, by which you've been made holy, that you've been given grace, you insult Him when you sin. That's very convicting. I read those scriptures, I'm stirred. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. God has given me the blessings, a number of blessings from the Holy Spirit. We've gone through a list of them. Why would I want to insult Him? 
or outrage him or grieve him in any way. I mentioned this before, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. It reveals the holiness of spirit, the holy living that we should have. Listen to what the scripture says. Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't have eternal life. That place that is so wonderful that we described and looked at this morning. Do not be deceived. There's a possibility that you can be deceived. There's a lot of people today that deceive themselves. Oh, I'm fine. I can live however I want to. I can live in this sin and still inherit eternal life. It was a lie then and it's still the same most common lie today I hear. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, no, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. In Greek, there's two different words there for the effeminate man as well. He says, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's emphatic. And such were some of you. And I, and I think that statement is, is profound itself. You can't get haughty. You, you were a part of this. You've committed these sins. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we see the work of Jesus Christ in his name being washed, that's baptism, that you're made holy and you're justified by the Holy Spirit. You go down a little bit further here and he makes the point. And, he, and he's talking and he's saying, listen, a lot of you think that you could do whatever you want with your body. That was the thinking back there in the Greco-Roman world and Platonism People thought, well, I don't really need this body anyways. It's just going to disintegrate. I, I, and a lot of them said they don't really even have a soul. And that goes another, to another extreme. And when you think that your body doesn't really matter, people rationalize, I'll do whatever I want to do with my body. Paul says, no, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body matters. In fact, the Holy Spirit, he's going to raise you up on the last day. You live a holy life. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual, the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Why does that matter? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You got your body from God, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Living a holy life. And, and here's the thing. Some people might think this is restrictive. Why do I have to live this way? It's not. It's freedom. It's a freedom where I don't have to live under the law and condemnation. I don't have to live always in conflict with sin, always feeling that other people are judging me or feeling condemned by God's righteous law which you should if you live in sin. You should feel that condemnation. But when you become a Christian, it's, it's taken away. There's freedom. Let's read about that. Paul says in Romans 8, 1-4, through 4, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the, Notice this. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the New Testament that's been revealed and given to us, the law is now that you're going to follow Christ you're still going to keep commandments, but you're doing it in focus to Jesus, which under the old law, all you had was a hope and anticipation of the coming Messiah. And he says, you've been set free from the law of sin and death. 
There should be no confusion that that is the law that's condemn, condemning under the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the holiness of, the, of, of that law that nobody could keep. We needed a Savior. He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, cannot do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the spirit, uh, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so the anticipation is, is that we walk and live in a different way, that we live in the spirit, that we live in a way that focuses on Christ and not living under the condemnation of the law. There's much more that can be said about that. I'll kind of summarize it right here. Has the Holy Spirit, um, has He give us freedom? I'm missing a word right there. Paul observed, he said, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Well, what does that mean? The letter kills. He's talking about the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments right there specifically, engraved on stone. It kills. It shows that yeah, I'm a sinner and I deserve death. But it is in Christ and following the Holy Spirit that my life changes. He goes on at, and toward the end of the chapter, and that's what we have here. Freedom, the freedom now is, is like this. Instead of having a, a law in the Old Testament and having those lists of commands and saying, well, I better keep every single one of these for me to live and not stand condemned. In the New Testament, it's you still got commands, but your focus is on Christ. I want to be like him. And as I think about Jesus and following him, it actually makes it easier. I'm not going down a checklist anymore. I'm following Jesus and trying to be like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us about that. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're freed from the law and its condemnation. And he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're being changed. The Holy Spirit is changing us. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And while we understand that, some of us might still be struggling. Yes, but I don't, I feel like I'm losing it. Like I don't, I can't find how to live by the Spirit. What am I doing wrong? I think these passages right here will help you. If you're struggling and you're thinking, okay, I understand those things. I want to live a holy life. I want my life to change. What can I do? So humanity, we, we individually must choose between living for the flesh and living for the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 tells us this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You, you live this way, you walk in the Spirit, and you're going to see an end to those things. It might be gradual, it might be instant. It's in God's working. And as well, you draw close to Him in the study of His Word and in prayer. We'll find freedom. Galatians 6 and verse 8, Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I want the Spirit. I want eternal life. He's going to give me those things. I want to live after Him. And here's a section of Scripture. I went on and gave you all the points right there. I didn't intend to do that all at once. But there's a number of observations that we can draw from Romans chapter 8. I'm open my Bible and read a few of these things. Um, 
I'm afraid you're going to go on and read those points. So let's take a look at them. This is what Paul teaches here in Romans 8, verses 5 through 17, about living in the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, where our focus should be. And not under the condemnation of the law, he's saying this is how you do it. You set your mind. And the Greek word for setting your mind means you fascinate on it, you think upon it, it it's consuming of all your thoughts. Romans 8, 5, it says, Those who are of the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if I want to live the right life and live according to the Holy Spirit and follow God, I'm going to be thinking that way. I'm going to think the way the Bible tells me to think. That's why I want to read the Scriptures. I want to get in the Word until the Word gets into me. Number two, setting the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I want peace in my life. I want eternal life. It comes by putting my mind, my thinking, on what the Scriptures say, on the life of Jesus, His teaching, and what the apostles have given to us in the Scriptures. Those who set the mind on the Spirit have the Spirit dwelling in them. And so it seems emphatic here that if we want the full blessing of the indwelling of the Spirit, we want the Holy Spirit to be working within us to make us holy and change our life, our mind has to be, again, on the Spirit. Uh, chapter 8 and verse 13, those who live by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. You're going to eventually put, you're going to put them to death. As these sins and temptations come along, how you struggle with them, as you turn to Christ and put your mind in the right place, you'll put them to death. And then lastly here, those of whom the Spirit leads are children of God. So am I, am I a child of God? Well, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be a child of God, one who glorifies God. Let's read some passages here. I like Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what Paul says. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Go down and look at verse 9. You who are, who are in the flesh, you, excuse me, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And again, you have another passage here that affirms that you're not a Christian, you're not saved unless the Holy Spirit, he dwells within you. And we'll talk more about that next week. Much more to draw out of Romans chapter 8. Now, I've been thinking a lot, and specifically in Romans 6 through 8, and we've been doing our memory work on Wednesday night. I think it'd be great to begin to start memorizing a few passages out of Romans 6 and see how much of a chapter of the New Testament we can memorize. And I hope one day to have all of Romans 6 through 8 in my mind. A very powerful scripture. So the Spirit helps us to become like Christ through the truth that He has revealed. God abides in those who are born of faith and love. And so this is what we're going to get into next week, the indwelling. That when we've been baptized, when we've been born again, when we abide in love, God's love, then God abides in us and we in Him. That's what 1 John chapter 4 says. And I think the reason I want to mention this tonight is because it very much ties into living a holy life, living according to the Spirit, because that means we're going to be living in love. We care for others. We're looking out for the best of others around us. As we finish... As I mentioned before, the Holy Spirit is essential to resurrecting us to eternal life. We've noted a few scriptures tonight. Romans 8 and verse 11 says this. I like Romans 8 and verse 23. It says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit. 
groan e inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You're looking forward to that. You cannot have eternal life without the Holy Spirit and what He does. And I hope tonight, if you need to repent, you need to change your life, get into the Scripture, listen to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to His church, to His people, to what this is the purpose by which Christ sent the Holy Spirit to reveal all truth to us. Let's get to understand it and to know it and allow the gospel to affect and change our heart so we can live a holy life. I love this passage here. I could have used this this morning. Revelation 22 and verse 17 serves very well for our invitation tonight. The scripture says, The Spirit and the bride, the Spirit and the church say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You need to obey the gospel tonight. You need prayers and encouragement. We encourage you to come right now while we sing.